Hey, everybody. Welcome to worship here at Providence Church. We are so thankful that you're here. You need to know that this is a place uh, where we believe in miracles. Um, We believe in them because we've seen them. (laughs) We hear stories from all over the place about what God is doing through his spirit, through his word, through worship. And so be expectant in these moments. If you're feeling something or if you're not feeling anything, (laughs) be reminded that we have a God who doesn't waste anything in your life, no tear, no setback, no suffering, and is working this sort of rescue plan again and again and again and again and again. So we're so glad to be with you in this time, in this place, in worship. I need to let you know that this Thursday night, there's going to be a very special event in our community. It's virtual. It's a webinar with Dr. John Perkins. Dr. John Perkins has been a leader in civil rights. He's 90 years old now, but he's been a leader in race reconciliation, civil rights for a long, long time. And our community is really thrilled that he'll be a part of an Everyone's Wilson event this Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. You can go to the Facebook page for Everyone's Wilson and uh, sign on on Thursday night. Everyone's Wilson is this group of churches, we're one of them, that believe the gospel has all the power to change and transform communities. And you've probably heard us talk about wanting to see everyone fed and everyone free and everyone safe and everyone ready, Everyone's Wilson. But the group of pastors, the group of churches was started when black pastors and white pastors came together with a different everyone dream, which was to see everyone known and valued and, and loved and, and lifted up no matter the color of their skin. And so we still have this crazy dream and you're gonna hear us talking about it over and over and over again until we see the kingdom come here on earth. So this is one step. And so Providence Church, I'm asking you, uh, I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you to be present on Thursday night as a sign to the community that we care and that we are still in this work to see all people lifted up, all people valued. Coming out of that is going to be a community-wide study of one of Dr. John Perkins' books. Uh, He calls me friend, and we'll be a part of that with some other churches in our community. So you need to be on Thursday night to check that out. Also, this is a big week for our community and our community churches and everyone's Wilson. We're having a prayer walk on Saturday. So this is coming out of that Thursday night event, but it's all about the unity of the city. It's all about the, the welfare of the city, about our community, about our nation. And so churches from all around the county are going to come together and walk together and pray. There's going to be a prayer walk in Lebanon and also in Mount Juliet, several places that you can start. Our church will be starting at the Mount Juliet Church of God, which is listed on the website as the starting place C. And so I will see you there on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, and we're going to walk down to the corner by the railroad tracks, and we're going to pray with our city. It's going to be a really special time. So where your Providence gear and show up on Saturday morning to pray over our city. If you're in Lebanon or closer to Lebanon, Pastor Angela is going to be there at that prayer walk, and we're just going to be praying all over the city for God to move. So let's do that right now. God, come and move in our presence now. We believe that you are a living God who still speaks to his people, who still calls to us and resurrects us and changes us, and our hearts are tired. Our bones are weary. We feel like we're in the wilderness at times. And so come, God, and and work a rescue plan for us so that we can share the good news of Jesus with the world. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
You know, I've mentioned it already, but we are in a series called Nothing is Wasted with God, believing that anything that you've come in contact with, all those different parts of your story are all things that God can piece together to, to build this sort of beautiful redemption story for your life, but not just for your life, for the whole world, for the whole cosmos that God is working. And it got me thinking about how sometimes you can know somebody for a little while, maybe some months, some years, and then find out that you really don't know their whole story. You don't know all the different things that have gone on in their lives. Like I can, you know, be talking to someone and say, man, I never knew that you were in rehab. I never knew that was a part of your story. Or I've had this happen a few times in the, in recently where I'm talking to a couple and said, I never knew that you guys were married and then divorced and then remarried. What's that story? You know, I never knew that part of your story. You might talk to someone and say, I never knew that you had cancer. I never knew that you lost a child. I never knew that you encountered suicide in someone close to you like I have in my life. I didn't know. We often only see pieces of people's story or maybe even know one thing but not the whole story. I want to tell you this morning about Joseph. Joseph, who has this whole story in the Bible. It's an extensive story. It would take a long time to read it, a long time to study it. It covers 14 chapters in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. What I'm saying is, if you knew Joseph at some point in his life, maybe for a few months or a few years, you might say to him, I never knew that about your story. I never knew you had 11 brothers. I never knew you spent time in prison. What? I never knew your family tried to kill you. You see, Joseph has this wide, full story with high moments and low moments and brokenness and suffering and being lifted up and being laid low, just like we do. What we most often hear about Joseph is his dream story, which is a really cool story. It's found at the beginning in Genesis 37. Joseph is 17 years old or something. Like I said, he has 11 brothers. But the reason we hear about Joseph is because his dad gives him a coat, a coat of many colors, And the coat of many colors is given to Joseph because he's actually his dad's favorite. And so this coat that he wears is almost like this neon sign that flashes around his neck saying, I'm dad's favorite, I'm dad's favorite. And his brothers try to hang in there. I mean, they try to love Joseph, but Joseph has this dream. And in the dream, his 11 brothers bow down to him. Maybe that's an okay dream to have, but probably not a dream you should share. But you got to know Joseph. He shares the dream and his brothers just can't take it anymore. So you might have heard Joseph's story, and you might know him as the, as the favorite of his dad or the kid with the cool coat or even the guy who was cre- dreaming these crazy dreams. But what happens next in the story is his brothers throw him in a pit. They throw him in a cistern, and they pull his coat off of him, and they put some goat's blood on it, and they take it back to their dad, and they say, we guess Joseph's dead. Maybe a wild animal ate him. You see, if you just knew about the dream story, you might not know that Joseph had a bottom-of-the-pit story. We might not know what happened. We don't even know the full story. Did he cry out to his brothers from down there? For how long? Did he weep in the bottom of the pit? I mean, we don't know the whole story. We know that he was sold to a caravan passing by as a slave. And so we know that Joseph not only had a dream story, he had a bondage story. He literally went from being a favored son to a nobody slave. Joseph then lives in the house of his slave owner, his master. And one of his famous stories is that the master's wife wants Joseph to come to bed with her. Joseph refuses, a man of integrity, but she grabs a hold of him, his coat, and he runs away and she's holding his coat. And so she takes the coat to her husband and says, your slave tried to take advantage of me. Joseph's coats keep getting him in trouble. And then Joseph 
is falsely accused and sent to prison. Joseph has a prison story. Who would have known? And then I can't tell you all about it, but Joseph actually has this crazy story of being forgotten, like he was about to be exonerated, he was about to be released, and instead he's forgotten down there. And then, after he gets out of prison, Joseph is lifted up to second in command of the whole nation of Egypt in a time when there's a famine, and he's the only one that can figure out how to fix it, and Joseph lives a story of leadership in crisis. Maybe some of you are in that place right now, and he has to lead through the hardest time that the nation has ever seen. And then... There's this beautiful redemption story of Joseph at the end in Genesis chapter 50. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, if you just knew a piece of Joseph's story, you wouldn't know the whole one. So let me lay it out for you again. Joseph has a dream story, a bottom of the pit story, a bondage story. He has a falsely accused story. He has a time that he's in prison. He's a time that he's forgotten. He's a time that he's in crisis, and then he is redeemed. If you only knew Joseph's dream, if you didn't know that he'd been to the pit or been to the prison, you wouldn't fully know Joseph. And what I think it shows some of us who right now might be in the pit or might now, right now be misunderstood or, or living in the bondage of sin or the bondage of shame or be just uh, you know, uh, about to fall apart, we can know right now that none of that, none of those things are outside of God's knowledge and nothing we will go through is wasted because nothing is wasted with God. That's what we learn from Joseph. We learn suffering is real, and even favored children fall down in pits sometimes. But none of it, not one cry from the darkness, not a thousand nights in a prison cell, nothing is wasted with God. I told you that Joseph's long story is recorded in Genesis 37 through 50, and it's at the very end of Genesis chapter 50. Remember I mentioned that he is now leading a nation through famine. He's the one who got it figured out how to store up the grain and how to release it and when to release it. And so he's up to this very high place, the one dis dispersing the food to a famished nation, and guess who comes and bows down before Joseph? Want to guess? His brother's. His brothers come because they need food, but they don't know it's Joseph. They don't expect their brother that they sold into slavery to be the highest in command in the nation. And so there's this moment, right? What's Joseph going to do? And they have this big discovery that it is indeed Joseph, but the brothers remember what? We threw him in a pit. We took his favorite coat and put wild animal blood on it and took it back to dad. And so the brothers ask a logical question, Genesis 50, 15. They say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays back all the wrongs we did to him? A few verses later, we read that it says his brothers came and threw themselves before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish, accomplish what's now being done, the saving of all these lives. Joseph, in that moment, somehow said, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. He acknowledges their wrongdoing, but at the same time acknowledges that God wastes nothing and is always working a rescue plan for his people. He goes on to say to his brothers in the next verse, he says, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. So Joseph is not a one-story guy. He wasn't just a kid who had a dream and a jacket. 
He went to the bottom of the pit. He felt ropes on his wrist as a slave. He spent lonely nights in prison. And through all that, he somehow kept his mind focused not on the plans of his brothers to harm him, but on God's plan to rescue him. He saw the pit and the prison as not something God caused to make him stronger, but something God would use to rescue others because nothing is wasted with God. I remember a time when I was a young pastor. I was actually still a full-time student in seminary training to be a pastor. I was also a part-time pastor at a church. I was a husband and a brand-new dad. And I got a job, an extra job, on the weekends with a moving company to earn a little extra money. And I worked for a truck driver who was a really tough case. I mean, this guy was just plain mean. And what happened in my working for him is he would berate me while we worked because I was not a good mover. I was not skilled at it. And there was this one summer day, it was a Friday in the afternoon, we were in the back of his trailer, of his tractor trailer truck, unloading another load. And he actually asked me, he said, what are you good for? Because I was not a skilled mover. And that's when I told him my secret. His name was Don. I said, Don, I'm a preacher, and today's my day off. I'm just trying to earn extra money. And I still remember Don's one-word response. He said, oh. And then he sent the other guys in our work crew back to the house to get another load. And then he did something I didn't know you could do. He opened up the sides of that tractor trailer truck like these big doors, and the cool breeze came in, and we sat down, and we hung our legs over the edge. There was a highway going past in front of us, and Don lit up a cigarette, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm 40, and I feel like I'm 60. He said, I feel like I've been on the road my whole life. And he began to share with me about his brokenness and his pain, and then he shared with me a dream that God had given him for his life. And I was like, Don, tell me more, because I just wanted those guys to keep working, right, and I could sit there with them. I said, tell me more about your dream. I can't see it. And this, this guy who'd been so ugly to me began to share, me, share with me this dream he'd had since he was a little boy. And I realized that I was not working an extra job to come up with some extra money for the week, but this was a big setup from God for Don to make sure that he knew that he is a favored son and that he has been given dreams by God because nothing's wasted. Not an extra job, not an insult. I'd never seen a truck driver cry tears onto a highway. I'd never seen a man who a moment ago was connecting cuss words in a way that I did not know was possible. He was very creative, he's a master. And now he was confessing his need for his heavenly father because his story, his whole story that I didn't know was known by God. And none of that was wasted. It reminds me of a verse I skipped over right before Joseph saved his brothers from destruction. Joseph cried. It's just a real simple verse. I'll read it to you. Verse 17, I skipped it. It says, when the message came to him, Joseph wept. The message was from his brothers. They were asking for mercy. They were saying, they were making stuff. They were saying, dad said to forgive us, all this stuff. The message came to him, and Joseph just wept. You may need to do this. You may need to cry. Um, what I mean is, Joseph was weeping over the pit, right? 
He was weeping the false accusation. He was weeping the prison time. He was weeping being forgotten. He was weeping the famine. He was weeping that his dad had died and he never got to see him in all those years. He was weeping that his brothers were now bowed down on the ground before him. His dream from 17 had now come to life right in front of his very eyes. All those things had been leading up to this moment. And Joseph had to deal with his emotions. That's a lot to take in. Life's a lot to take in. He'd been so strong for so long, but would he be strong now? Would he seek vengeance on his brothers as they expected him to? Or was God writing a different story through Joseph? What Joseph did, the way he steered his way through it, is he kept his focus on the intentions of God instead of the intentions of humans. He said, what you guys intended for harm, God intended for good. So many of us are caught up in and focused on only the intentions of humans. It's pretty much all I hear us talking about, what they're up to and how they're acting and what they're writing and what they're saying and what they're intending. And make no mistake, human intentions have big implications. But we believe that even what others might intend for harm, God can use for good. So don't let the crisis that you're in right now lead you to a breaking down, but to a breaking open. We all break, and sometimes we break down. Sometimes it feels we've broken into many pieces. But as the people who follow God, we do not have to break down. We can break open. What I mean by that is Joseph, in his journey, even though he had so many broken times, always stayed open to God. He tried to keep his heart focused on what God was doing, not on what people were doing to him. Another way of saying it is don't let the crisis lead you to bitterness. Let it lead you to dependence, dependence on God. You can go one of two ways most times. You encounter something bitter in your life, you can go bitter. Or you can go deeper, deeper into God, deeper in trust, deeper in submission, deeper in obedience. Joseph let the pit and the prison drive him towards God. He actually got kinder as he went along. Like if you look at 17-year-old Joseph, he's kind of a brat. He's showing up his brothers. He's not sensitive to how they feel and what they're doing. And somehow with all that he went through, he got kinder as he went along. The scripture says that in that moment where they were begging for mercy, he reassured his brothers and spoke kindly to them, the man who was sold into slavery because his brothers threw him in a cistern. When he finally saw them again, he reassured them, it's okay. He said, I'm going to take care of you guys. I'm going to take care of your kids. And even the way he said it was kind. It made me think, makes me think, you know, how we act in a crisis is as important as what we do in a crisis. Meaning, we all want to figure out how to get through the crisis. We all want to, we all want to figure out what am I supposed to do? And that's important. But it's also important how you act if you're a follower of God. It's also important how you treat people. 
So Joseph not only did the right thing, he also did it the right way. He spoke kindly to them. Don't waste a crisis because nothing is wasted with God. All those, all those things that J- Joseph faced, he didn't waste them because he knew that God was not going to waste them. Joseph was generous. Joseph was kind. Joseph was forgiving to those who hurt him. How? How did Joseph do that? He was more focused on God's intentions than on the intentions of those who were trying to hurt him. If you believe that God is working in all things to accomplish good in your life that could even lead to the saving of others' lives, you will see the broken parts of your life as things God will use. Rachel, my wife, got me with this old line this week. It's one we used to use all the time back in our younger days. We haven't said it much lately, but she said it to me and she said, Jacob, you know, this is our go. It just caught my attention. It's something we used to say all the time, but I hadn't heard it in a while. She said, Jake, this is our life. We used to say, this is not a dress rehearsal for our life. This is actually it. This is our go. This is the one we got. And when she had said it to me, I was in the midst of what I might call a long week. I had hurt my back. I don't even know how I hurt my back. I'm 40. <laughs> the, the chiropractor was like, Jacob, how'd you hurt your back? I'm like, I don't know. I just like went to bed. I don't know. He's like, did you lift anything? No. He's like, were you working in the yard? I'm like, I don't work in the yard. I read books and stuff. I don't do that. I don't know how I hurt my back, but my back hurts. And my grandfather's sick and we can't go visit him. And I miss my people. And I still want it to go back to the way that we were before. And Rachel says, this is our go. And I'm like, this crisis, this is our story? And the answer is yes. And what those who follow God get to choose is, am I gonna break down or am I gonna break open? Am I gonna be more open to God? Am I gonna be more open to his ways? Am I gonna be obedient to what he's calling me to do? Am I gonna act right even when I don't know what to do? I can get bitter or I can go deeper with God, more dependent, more reliant, weaker and stronger with him. I can believe that what's happening right now in my life is intended for good because God is good and he's working his intentions. Guys, his intentions are more powerful than the intentions of the world around us. God intends to save the world. God intends to rescue people from pits. And there is no crisis that we are facing that's more powerful than God's rescue plan. And so we step into the place of submission to God and say, God, I want what you want to come. I still believe the dream you gave me is gonna happen. It's probably gonna look different. And I want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So that's why we say in any moment, glory to God, glory to God, now and forever, amen. Hey, I want you to know that this week, Tuesday and Wednesday night starts Care Night. It's something that we do here at Providence. It's all virtual. So wherever you are watching this, you can be a part of it. And the reason I'm bringing it up now is because what it's gonna be about is how to walk through crisis. 
how to be broken and be <laughs> restored by God. So go to the website, look at the offering, sign up, do something intentional. As we continue to worship together, believe that our God, even when we don't see it, even when we can't, even when we can't feel it, he's working for our good. Amen.